Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter 10, or 2 Peter 2, sorry, 2 Peter 2, 10 to 16. And uh, we'll, we're back here in our study in 2 Peter, and I want to allay any fears you might have when you look at the bulletin and see five points. Uh, they will go through them pretty rapidly. They're only about a verse apiece. Um, I was talking with one person last night and uh, telling them we had a business meeting after reminding them that. And they, I said, but don't worry, our message is short. And she said, it don't look short, um, but it, it is. It's just a brief time, but it's a good, it's a powerful, important thing we need to talk about. Um, sometimes our messages don't have three points in a story. Sometimes they have five points. We got to let God's word decide uh, what we'll be going through. And um, we're actually in the second part of a, of a three-part message on the battle for truth, victory in Jesus. That is the theme of Second Peter. And uh, we're in a battle for truth here. Last uh, two weeks ago, uh, when we looked at verses 1 to 9 of chapter 2, God provided us a warning through Peter about the destructive and deadly danger that false teaching presents. And um, God here tells us that uh, in verses 1 to 9 that false teaching is a reality. We should expect it in our church. Uh, we need to fight against it, but this has always happened. It happened to God's people in the Old Testament. It happened during the time that Peter's uh, writing this, and it even is going to happen today. Uh, God also gave us some descriptions in verses 1 to 9 of the identity of false teachers, a way for us to identify them. And then he told us about the surety of their judgment. Uh, so basically a warning to not follow them. So this week here in verses 10 to 16, God has Peter continue to provide us with a more detailed description of those false teachers and their deviant doctrine. Uh, their doctrine, their false teaching is designed to do this. It's designed to steal God's glory and it's designed to suppress the joy that you and I have in Jesus Christ. And so we need to fight against it. And here in verses 10 to 16, he reveals five different ways or five different uh, aspects of false teachers and how they live in opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was Peter's focus. That is to be our focus. That is what transforms people's lives as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter wants us to look to that. But here he is identifying uh, five different ways that false teachers live in opposition to that. He wants us to not fall for their deception, but to remain faithful to the Lord as we fight uh, in this battle for truth. Do you know that we're in a battle for truth today? We are. We got to fight. And that's what he's going to give us here are some uh, weapons that we can use uh, in our battle for truth. Let's read verses 10 to 16. It says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. 
and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and they're gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb ass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we look into your word this morning. We plead with you to show us what it is you want us to know. You provided here in Second Peter a gracious warning regarding what false teachers are presenting uh, regarding what they look like so that we can identify them and avoid them and not fall to false teaching that Satan's designed to destroy your church, to steal your glory, and to suppress the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, please, in this battle for truth that we find ourselves in so often, almost continually in our culture, we ask this morning that you'd write your eternal truth upon our hearts. Help us to know your word. Help us to respond to it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, false teachers, they live in insurrection. They're rebellious. Verses 10 and 11, they live in insurrection. They despise government. They despise all authority. That's what verse 10 says. Uh, and he, he's saying, but chiefly them. In verses 1 and 9, he ended it in verse 9 saying, these false teachers will be judged, and those who follow them will be judged, and now he's going to describe them in greater detail. He says, chiefly, they are those who walk after the flesh in lust of uncleanness, and they despise government. They despise government. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They hold any authority in contempt. These are people, these false teachers, this is their motto. I will decide what's right for me. Uh, no one's going to tell me what to do. Uh, when we hear the word government, we would tend to think of maybe our local municipal government, our state government, you know, our federal government, and it's talking about that. It is, but the Greek word here uh, for authority is kuriotitas. That is where we get our word for Lord, kurios, and he's saying uh, lordship. So yes, uh, government in our, our public sphere, in our political sphere, but ultimately they, they despise all government. All right, they live in insurrection. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They say, I will decide, and they're boldly arrogant. Uh, we see how in the next verse, but this is the false doctrine that Peter is, is battling, and these people are battling. You know, it comes from both sides. Paul had to fight so often against legalism when people were trying to add rules and regulations to uh, how you are saved. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? It's nothing that we can do. Uh, our works are the fruit of our faith, but they're not the root of it. They're not the cause of it. Uh, but this is the opposite side. What Peter's battling here is what's called antinomianism. It means there is no law. It doesn't matter what you do. You are saved by grace, so I can live however I want. I don't need to follow God's commands. I don't need to worry about the law. I can decide what's right for me, and I'm still saved by grace. That is the opposite end of the spectrum. That is false teaching. That's false teaching. All right? And this is what he's struggling with. Today, we struggle with the same thing. 
We, we struggle with both ends. Satan knows that this is what people fall for. Uh, but I, I, I think especially in our culture, we have this mentality, this uh, anti-authoritarian uh, authority mentality where people say, you know what, that might be your truth. You might have had somebody say this. Oh, you go to church? Oh, you believe in the Bible? That's your truth. That's fine for you, but I've got my own. And there is not different truths. There's just truth. Amen? There's just truth. It comes from God's word. He's given it to us here. These people say this is what you'll find in uh, schools, college campuses, and society, and our culture, and TV, and social media. There is no made narrative. There's no one big story. You can have your truth, and I have my truth. There's all just different kinds of truth. That's not true. <laughs> there is a made narrative. It's right here from Genesis to Revelation. This is history because it's his story. It's a story of God. It's what he expects of us. It's what we did in rebellion against him. It's what he did to fix that for us and what we can have in Jesus Christ. There is a meta narrative. There is truth. And God expects us to live for him. You know, uh, it reminds me so much of the end of the book of Judges. I, I don't really care much for that book, I'll be honest with you. There's great stories in the beginning, great accounts that inspire faith like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and Barak and, and, and uh, all the Ehud and all of these great judges. But at the end of the book, uh, we've seen this continuous cycle of falling into sin and rebellion and repentance and falling into sin and rebellion and repentance and things like this. And you get to the end of the book and there's no more cycle. That's why it's depressing to me. At the very end of the book of Judges, it says, And that day there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's a mess. That's chaos. That's 2019 here in America. It is. We need to beware of false teaching, and this is what Peter's telling the church. And uh, we also uh, find ourselves in a similar cultural context, I'm afraid. This is how they despise government, or one way they defame dignities. This is how they despise authority. It's, it's kind of odd. We probably don't find ourselves in the exact same situation here, but he says at the end of verse 10, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. The, the word there is doxos. It means uh, probably the best translation would be glorious ones. And uh, most people think he's referring to angels. I think he is because that's what he talks about in the next verse. Uh, some might think it's talking about pastors or because the word could also be translated as messengers. But these are, these are I think, definitely angels because in verse 11 he speaks of angels. He says, whereas angels, they speak evil of dignities, but whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, uh, they bring not railing accusation against them. Now we've got to figure out who the them is. Uh, is he talking about the false teachers? So these false teachers are speaking evil of angels, but angels don't bring uh, accusation against them. I think that's possible. Or it could be that uh, uh, they speak evil of, fall, of fallen angels, and even, even good angels don't speak evil of fallen angels. Here's the, the bottom line. The, the point here is that uh, these angels don't speak evil of whoever the them is, but these people do in their pride, in their anti-authority insurrection. These false teachers have no problem in doing so. We need to be very careful uh, how we use our speech in any con uh, context, but especially here. Um, now, they also live uh, in instinct. Secondly, they live by instinct. Verse 12, these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, they speak evil of the things they understand not. All right, uh, They're without self-control because they're without spirit control. There's really no hope for self-control if you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have Jesus Christ and the gift that he gave us uh, in faith, the Holy Spirit, and these false teachers that were sent by Satan to destroy the church, uh, they live by instinct. Uh, they're impulsive, like an animal is. 
You know, uh, most animals don't have logic. We, I look at my dog sometimes and I think he's thinking and going through logic. He's not, he wants a, he wants a treat. You know, he does, he hates the bath, he hates the bath. But if I say bath, do you know where he runs? He goes to the bathtub to get in because afterwards he gets a treat. Yeah, so he's, it's impulsive, it's instinctual. He's not sitting there weighing the you know, pros and cons, he just wants food. And this is how these people are. They're ruled by their lusts. They're ruled by instinct, like animals, like brute beasts, natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. He inserts their destiny right here. And at the end of this verse, uh, they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They shall be destroyed uh, by uh, their own destruction, is what he's telling us here. Uh, but the probable concept he's communicating in verse 12 is these people are, they're instinctual, they're animalistic, they're impulsive. Uh, they follow their heart. Have you ever heard that phrase? Just follow your heart. It sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds sweet, like something you hear on the Hallmark Channel. Just follow your heart. Could there be anything more destructive? What does Jeremiah 17.9 tell us? The heart of the man is deceitful above all things, above everything. There's nothing more deceitful than the heart of an unregenerate human being. That's the fall. That is what sin has left us with. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Please don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus Christ. Follow God's word. Uh, but this is what we hear, and this is what that is. Yeah, they're following their heart. They're like natural brute beasts. They're ignorant. They're irrational. They don't logic any more than my dog deciding he wants a treat. There's no logic to them. They just follow whatever they want, and they want it, and they get it no matter what happens. We're going to see that lived out in a larger way in the next couple of verses. But uh, it's highly probable here that Peter's warning uh, from the overall context. So we're just looking at seven verses this morning, but from the verses uh, a couple weeks ago and from uh, we'll finish up in, in the next week or two, uh, it's, it's highly probable that Peter's warning here and the false teaching he was enduring was this antinomianism, this no law. It's kind of crazy for us, and it's, it might even be somewhat offensive, but these people, um, they, they believe that lustful indulgence was angelic. All right, uh, it, it was a Gnostic heresy, a Gnostic philosophy that said it's actually God's desire for you to live without any restraint. And you, that is the path to greater knowledge. That was the false teaching. Crazy, isn't it? It sounds nuts. Like, who would believe that? We did. Eve did. Adam did. Genesis 3. She's standing there and Satan says, God, God told you not to eat that because he knows if you will take that, you will be just like him. You'll be as wise as he is, as smart as he is. It's the path to greater knowledge, Eve. And it says, when she looked at the tree and saw it was good for food, and it was able to make one wise, she couldn't help but do it. And this is where these people are, and we find ourselves in a very similar uh, cultural context. That was the one they lived in, pagan religions, like Gnosticism of that time. This is what they said, and it was crept into the church. Do you remember uh, last week, two weeks ago, when we looked at verses 1 and 9? They smuggle it in. They sneak it into the church. Heresies, uh, philosophies of this world, and that's why Paul tells us, do not let these philosophies take you captive. No, take every thought captive instead. These false teachers have never known new life and Christ, and it's clear by the way that they live. Thirdly, false teachers, they live in insolence. First of all, they're brazen, verse 13. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. They're brazen. They're without restraint. 
what normally would cause most people, the conscience that would say, I don't want somebody to see me doing that. I don't want to get caught. Even that level of fear, they don't got it. They're brazen. It says they count it pleasure, a joy to riot in the daytime when everybody's watching because they don't care. This is my truth, and I'm calling you to join me in it. And he's way being, be very careful. You know, there's things that are on TV now that uh, in the daytime and at night that never would have been on 10 years ago, 20 years ago. There's things we have constant and instant access here to things that we shouldn't see. There's brazenness that's going on. And he's going to talk about that a little bit more in the next verse. They live in insolence. They don't care. There's no guilt. There's no conscience. What God has declared as wicked, they count it as a joy and pleasure to do. They're like those that Isaiah described in Isaiah 5.20 when he said, Woe unto those that call uh, good evil and evil good. These false teachers are simply not concerned with others seeing their behavior. They're actually not concerned with God seeing it because they're not just brazen. They're also blasphemous. There's no sense of conscience that even most unregenerate people have. This is how they're blasphemous. They're without restraint, but they're also without reverence. It says in verse uh, 13, the second part, spots they are. They're spots on your church. They're blemishes on your church because they sport themselves. They proudly ride in the daytime. They sport themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. You see, before they had communion, before they had the Lord's Supper at this time, they'd often share a large covered dish dinner. They'd have a meal. And these people were bringing in this level of immorality right to that meal right before communion, right before celebrating a uniquely special worship event. They were bringing it right in. Paul had to deal with this in the Corinthian church. And I think the last time we celebrated the Lord's Supper, we referenced that verse, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Paul warned the Corinthians there, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and shall drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's a powerful statement. And we need to be very careful how we come into worship, especially that that unique and special worship event. These people were doing the exact opposite. They were bringing immorality, not just into the church worship service, but into this particular one. They live in insurrection. They live by instinct. They live in insolence. And now they live in immorality. Verse 14, they have eyes that are full of adultery. There's not room for anything else. This is all that they can see and all they desire because they lived by instinct. They cannot cease from sin. He's going to tell us why here. But their eyes are full of adultery, you know, rampant immorality is part of their lifestyle. It's even become part of their worship, and that might be unthinkable to us. I hope it is. I hope that is offensive and unthinkable to you, and you praise God that it's not happening here. Um, and there's a connection, though, between verse 14 here, I think, and verse 3. And um, if this was possible in this church, in all these churches that Peter's writing to, then, and it's possible, it even I think it's happening in our churches, in our culture, and it's possible because this. Um, here's why this form of immorality is possible. People are viewed as a commodity. In our culture, in this day and age, human beings made in God's image are viewed as a commodity. And we see this in very practical uh, ways. Um, this was the problem for these churches. This is the problem in our culture. And look, folks, I'm afraid it's a problem in our churches. You say, what, false teaching like this is coming in? I don't think so. I hope not. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. Let's fight against it. Is it coming to the church? I think it is. 
And, and what I mean is it's not coming in here in this worship service and this podium and our programs and our events and our things we do, but who is the church? Me and you, right? And so if we allow this into our homes Monday through Saturday, if we allow this into our lives and into our kids' lives and into our families' lives, if we allow this perspective of people being a commodity, this, this has the potential to exist. It has the potential to creep into the church through us, the church, and we need to be careful about this. Um, here's the connection between verse 3. Verse 3 says, And through covetousness, these false teachers, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. They see you as an item. They see you as a thing, not as a human being. That's how these false teachers view other human beings. And we have this problem in our, in our culture. And I'm afraid it's crept into the church. I've got some stats here. 2016, there was a survey done by Christian author Josh McDowell and the Barna Research Group. And... Um, Kind of shocking, 50%, 2016, three years ago, I, I got a feeling it hasn't gotten better, but 50% of teenagers and 75% of young adults view pornography on at least a monthly basis. Shocking, right? And I know this is difficult stuff. I, I've been, um, it's my responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. Right? I've done it to your teens. And so I have to bring, when we come to this passage, we have to talk about hard things. It's because we don't talk about hard things that this problem exists. Right, 50% of teenagers, 75% of young adults view pornography on at least a monthly basis. Most of them reported, they were asked to categorize it on a list of serious sins. It, it fell below failing to recycle to them. Changing our perspective. It's commoditizing of human beings. We see it in human trafficking and sexual slavery. This is what we see. 27% of them reported viewing it prior to their teen years. 8% of them confessed to viewing it daily again. I think these are numbers that probably have only gone up. Is it a men's problem? It is, but not exclusively. 56% of the women in the study, ages 13 to 24, reported actively seeking it out at least monthly. These are probably shocking to you. They're shocking to me, right? And, and there's reasons why, and I could go, we don't have time. We don't, it's outside the scope of this. All right, it's important, but enough statistics. Is this a problem in our culture? The commoditizing of human beings, where we see them as something that is just for our use and they're not human? It is. I think it's a problem in our culture. It's the result of false teaching. It's a result of you and I uh, not being willing to talk about something that's uncomfortable, but we've got to. We've got to fight this because this comes into the church. We're warned against it by Peter here. It's a destructive trend in our churches. It ruins lives. It tears apart marriages and families. It dishonors God. It's not just pornography, right? That's the fruit. That's just a sin. It's a symptom. Here's the problem. The, the root is the commoditizing of human beings where you don't have value anymore except for what you can do for me. And that can come in. The fruit can be in a million different sins. Selfishness, pride, covetousness, we're just naming one here because he's dealing with immorality in these churches that are actually being uh, involved in their worship services. Uh, how do you get there? You get there this way, by commoditizing people, by seeing them as uh, an item, not a, a human being. So how do we fix it? We fix it like we fix any sin. We renew our minds. We allow God's word to transform us as it promised uh, that it would do. We allow it to change our perspective. That's step one. It's so important. We have to stop thinking of people this way. 
There's no hope for any kind of change in this behavior and fighting the battle for truth. Without it, we got to stop seeing people as a commodity, and only God's word can prevent us uh, from doing that, from seeing people that way. Only God's word can give us his perspective on his creation, his, his human beings that he died for. Do you understand that we were created in God's image? Every person out there in this world that you see, every person that's ever walked this face of this earth has been created in God's image. They're not a commodity. They're image bearers of a holy God. You are. <laughs> you are an image bearer of a holy God. That's the first step in overcoming this sin, any sin. But I know of no other way to overcome and triumph over any sin but this, uh, and that's by gaining a superior satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Let me assure you of something. Jesus is better than any sin. Amen? Jesus is better than any sin. And that's the way. You know what? You need that perspective, but it's got to be put in practice. I, I, it helps me to have very practical forms of teaching so that I can take this truth and put it into my life. And so you can use this on any sin. It's not from me. It's from one of my favorite authors, Pastor John Piper, but he uses this acrostic. So if you take notes, jot it down. I think it's powerful. It's called Anthem. You know what an anthem is? Well, this is his anthem. This is my anthem. I hope it's the anthem of our church that falls in with our purpose and mission and vision we talked about last week. But this is our anthem. Jesus is better. Say that. Jesus is better. He is. And you can overcome any sin this way by changing your perspective and allowing God's word to do it this way. How do you fight sin? Avoid it. That's A. Avoid it. <laughs> You can't always, right? It comes at you. You weren't expecting it. So now what do you do? You say no. That's N. Say no in the first five seconds. As soon as that temptation comes, you say no. First, five, You might need to say no out loud. You avoid it. You say no. And T, you turn. You turn your eyes from that temptation to something more magnificent like Jesus Christ. What he's done for you on the cross, his incarnation like we sung about this morning. You might need to sing about it, you might need to read about it, but turn your eyes to something way more magnificent than that temptation. Satan's promising you joy. It's a counterfeit promise. It won't. It always leads to death and destruction. Turn your eyes to something more magnificent. That's the T. H, hold onto that perspective, that beautiful, magnificent Thing you turned your eyes to. Hold on to it till the temptation goes. Fixate your mind on it. Then enjoy it. Enjoy it. Because God, the reason God has asked you not to do it is it will hurt you. It will. He provides joy. Joy can only be found in him. So he is enjoy it. Celebrate that you have victory over that sin by faith. He died so that you be saved from the uh, penalty of sin. You don't have to go to hell. Amen. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven. But he didn't just die for that. He died so that you'd have power over sin. You do not have to do it. Jesus is better. And M is to move. Move on to something better. Move on to service. Move on to serving the Lord. Move on to reading. Move on to praying. Move on to singing. Move on to golfing. Move on to hunting. That's, that glorifies God in his proper context. Move on to cooking. Move on, whatever it is. Move on to something else. That's your anthem. Jesus is better. So you need to change your perspective that happens through God's word. Men, we need to view ladies as image bearers of Jesus Christ, as God's glory, image bearers of God's glory, uh, and not as commodities for our own pleasure. And I'm going to say it, look, based on our social media culture, we, our women need to learn that their worth is not contingent upon men lusting after them. We cannot do this unless we preach this, unless we live this, that Jesus is better. Your worth is so much more. 
men and women, your worth is so much more. You are image bearers of God. He created you to reflect his glory. Don't fall for this. They're deceived by sin. That's what it said in verse 13b. Their own deceivings, having eyes full of adultery. Verse 14, they, they beguile unstable souls. They're deceived. They deceive unestablished souls. They have a heart that's exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. They can't cease from sin because this is all they ever do. It's like muscle memory in the gym. It's like something that becomes involuntary to them. Here's the call to turn from Peter, the call to repent. J.C. Ryle said this, Once sin is allowed to settle in your heart, it will not be turned out at your bidding. One yielding soon becomes a habit, then it becomes second nature, and its chains are not easily broken. Habits are like stones that are rolling down a hill. The further they roll, the faster and more ungovernable their course. Habits are like trees. They're strengthened by age. A young boy can bend an oak sapling, but a hundred men cannot root it up when it's full grown. So it is with habits. The older they become, the stronger, the longer they've held possession, the harder they will be to cast out. And Peter's saying, do it today. Cut down that oak today. Stop that stone today. If you found this in your life, if you're seeing aspects of this false teaching coming into your home, into your lives, into your kids' lives, into your family's lives, stop it today. Don't let it get a stronghold. Don't let one yielding become a stronghold. Don't continue in deception. Realize that you have pardon for sin and you have power over sin in Jesus Christ. These false teachers live in insanity. <laughs> That's the final one. He says, they've forsaken the right way in verse 15. They're, uh, they're disoriented. They've gone astray. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. I think sometimes we forget that there's another way. Like we're Christians and we're on that way, but we forget. We don't have to live like the world. That's their way. We're on a different way. There is a different way. Amen. Can we live in it? There's a different way. Are you glad to be on that narrow way we talked about last week? I am. And instead, these teachers follow the way of Balaam. He was a prophet in the book of Numbers that the Moabite people hired to curse God. So he was in it for the money, just like these people are. Verse 3, they're making merchandise of you. All right. He wasn't able to curse them, but he kind of did in a roundabout way. He'd encourage the Moabite women to uh, be involved in immorality with the Hebrew men and God's blessings can't be on that. So uh, on his way to curse the people the final time, and this is what verse 16 is talking about, um, the donkey he's riding just stops. He's like, gets off. He's like, let's go, donkey. Oh, donkey's not going. And he's not being nice to the donkey, right? <laughs> he's trying to get it to go. And the donkey turns and says to him, you don't see him? And they don't see, no, there's an angel there. Flaming sword. He's preventing me from going. You better pay attention. And these false teachers are so ignorant, so irrational, and so moved by instinct alone that they can't. It takes a brute beast to, to change the mind of a brute beast. You know, Albert Einstein said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. This is our culture, this is our society, this is our world, because there, there are people who are living in insurrection, they're living by instinct, they're living in ignorance, in insolence, in immorality. That's a life of insanity. That's not a life that Christ died for. That's not a life of victory that we have in Jesus. This is God's gracious warning to us this morning. Beware of false teachers and their false teaching. Beware of people who live like this. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. But sometimes false teaching doesn't come into the church, like I said, in our programs, in the pulpit. Lord, I pray not. In our classes, it comes in our homes because you're the church. 
And soon the church doesn't look a whole lot different than the world, and soon our lives don't look a whole lot different than the false teaching and teachers that Peter's describing. Sometimes that false teaching, sometimes those false teachers is me. It's you. It's what I'm allowing to be taught to me in this world. So we need to be on guard, church. If there's been a smuggling in, we need to eliminate it. We need to do it now. We need to do it today. We need to depend on the gospel and rely on the gospel. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ for Savior, please do it today. Turn to him. Get on that different way. It's a way to fullness of joy, pleasures forever, here and now and then and there. But Christian, if you have, Jesus died to give you victory over false teachings. You're in a battle for truth. You're in a battle. It's tough. He's given you the weapons to fight it. Let that anthem that Jesus is better give you victory in Jesus, to live as an image bearer for his glory. Uh, however God's asking you to respond today, as we have a time of invitation, I just simply ask you to obey. It might not even be about you. So often it isn't. But will you plead to God for your family, your young ones, for our family in this church, our college students, our high school students? I pray for them every day. For our marriages in this church, I pray for them every day that God would protect them, that this false teaching wouldn't come in, that wouldn't destroy. Tommy's going to come, we're going to sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. I pray that he would, that he'd have his way in your life as he's calling on you to respond this morning. Please obey.